Ever wonder what makes the greats great? What makes the successful successful? What makes the brilliant brilliant? Our Tuesday meetups with the celebrities of pharma industry and science are your one-stop shop to all these answers and more. Join us for Pies of Life, an initiative of the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program, where we bring your dream mentors to you. Hello everyone and welcome to the mentorship session by Biopatrika. Thank you, Vikram. Uh, so firstly, wishing you all a very pleasant time of the day from Team Biopatrika. It's actually a matter of great pleasure to me in welcoming all the SciCom enthusiasts to this exclusive session on demystifying industry-led scientific communications, the why, what, and how with Abhishek Pal. Having started off as a publication writer with GSK vaccines nearly 13 years ago, our speaker for the day is currently a certified medical publication professional and the scientific communications director for the cell and gene therapy divisions of Novartis's CAR-T's program. Abhishek is also passionate about scientific communications, data transparency initiatives, and publication ethics, to name a few. Translating his passion into action, he has conducted various training sessions and workshops with uh, collaboration with ISCR and ISMPP in India, in addition to designing the clinical research curriculums for various educational institutes. Today, we welcome Abhishek to communicate his take on industry-led scientific communications, the very field which he has been an integral part of for all these years. Over to you, Abhishek. Parvati, you need to send me this because I'm going to share this, this bio with whoever asks me next time. <laughs> it sounds so great, no, no, but thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for, for the invitation. And I know um, I've been following Biopatrika for a while and then Virender, when he got in touch very kindly and asked if I would like to speak, I think it was a great opportunity. So very, very honored to speak with you, all of you. So, um, you know, I know how the format works. So let me talk a little bit about my journey. And during that time, what I'll do is I'll try and call out instances and not naming people, but folks who have kind of helped me come this far. You know, um, it's very important. Uh, so maybe to give an, you know, kind of explain a little bit where my role fits in the whole, you know, industry setup. So, you know, the drug development process, as you know, it takes a long time, uh, but there are so many different teams involved. But to summarize, you have an early development and I'm keeping aside the other folks, all of who contribute. Simply put, we have, a, say, an early development team, which essentially runs the preclinical and then early phase trials. And then they eventually transition to the development team who actually run the pivotal trials, which then lead to a submission, leading to a submission to a regulatory authority. And then, of course, we have the global medical affairs team, whose job is to then lies with the development team and then also act as a gatekeeper of all these data and then prep for launch. And by that, I mean essentially preparing, you know, working with the value and access team to negotiate uh, the pricing access in different countries, working with the commercial teams to have their sales reps ready, working with the field medical team to make sure that the physicians have the knowledge and information that they need to make informed decisions. And my role sits within medical affairs, global medical affairs, and my draw, job is specifically scientific communications related to the CAR-T program, essentially publications, Congress presentations, satellite symposium, 
at both medical events. So essentially, my role is to oversee what are those different data points that need to be shared with certain audiences? What is the right time? What is the right channel? And then to coordinate that, and then of course, execute it with different teams, right? So I started off, you know, um, 15, I think 15 years ago. And, you know, I'm from Calcutta originally. Um, and then when I, you know, when I was in school, the regular usual style, you know, until 10th, you're kind of very, you know, engaged, um, you know, you want to do many things in life. Uh, I always wanted to be a medical doctor. Uh, by the time I think I completed my 10th, I lost steam, but I was still very, very interested. I wanted to. So I did take all those, you know, all India entrance exams that one year. I think I traveled all over India. Um, in fact, I was telling myself, I should tell you, when I, I was at Aligarh um, taking their entrance and I got ragged even without getting an admission. Even when I took the entrance, they thought this is a good guy to, to kind of rag outside the university gate. But um, what I realized is, of course, I wasn't prepared. So I took a year off. So I did not take admission to any college. Huge risk. And somehow I think my parents... Uh, were okay with it you know you know in india i don't think they have the concept of a break but i think they they said okay since you're so interested let's give it a shot um i prepared really hard um and then it so happened i think two months before the second entrance um my dad got diagnosed with oral cancer and then as you can imagine i did try and focus but things got a little out of control um, but not because of that, but I think I realized I needed to do something faster and it, you know, complete my education quicker to kind of make things work. Uh, but all said and done, I didn't make it. That's the summary. Uh, it, has be, it was, so it didn't work out. And at that point, I had to make a decision whether, like a lot of my friends who actually make, took more attempts to try and get into the entrance and, you know, yeah, general category has like hardly any seats there. Um, I decided that it's time and my father was very, very supportive. He said, you know, move out of the house, try and live independently. So I moved to Bangalore. And I think at that point, I, I think I probably grew up much quicker in that whole experience of managing his disease, you know, as the elder son. Um, and then moving to Bangalore, trying to figure out what I want to do. So I started off in microbiology. And, you know, it so happens that they start you off in microbiology on all the different aspects. Um, you know, I, and it, it felt like medical microbiology is like a fascinating thing. I would love to do it. And then by the time I got to the third year, I realized it's a lot of memorization. It's a lot of, um, you know, rote learning. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so obviously I had to change my plan. So I was thinking, oh, I would go to Manipal and do a medical microbiology, or I would go to VIT to do it. Um, and I, I had filled in the forms, they, I got like the offers, but then I realized that, no, that's not something that I want to do. And the very interesting thing is one of my friends, classmates, who was, whose father, um, brother was a forest warden, he was going for an entrance uh, in Bangalore at NCBS. Uh, for a wildlife conservation uh, program that they had just launched. And he said, hey, I, I just don't have anybody to come with me. Why don't you come? So I just went with him uh, in the walk-in. And then somehow, you know, it was a very generic kind of question and answer uh, thing. And 
they made an offer to me and i was like okay you know what this is the first entrance in my life that i've cracked so i'm going to take it and then you know um, my parents were like my father was okay it's up to you but is this what you want to do in the long run say 90% of time in the rural areas in the jungles and 10% in the cities is this what you are planning to do with your life again so again we need you know that's probably another step that i took so i need to be more practical so i said okay doesn't make sense so i'm not going to kind of do it but what else so i started applying for you know other entrances or uh, you know all over india so jnu and jncsr and all of those things um uh, even uh, tata memorial hospital they have like a msc by research and i i applied for that but by the time i could get you know the confirmations that you know i couldn't take a risk and i had to make a decision that you know i need a confirmed seat somewhere so bangalore university because i studied there they had a merit list so they said okay you have you can choose a seat and i finished i chose it i paid this fee and then i got the letter from tata memorial saying why don't you come and join us in 3 months so which which was devastating because i really wanted to do something in oncology for the personal reasons um but i said you know what no matter no problem i'm going to finish it quickly and maybe someday i'll get to work in oncology so i finished my masters uh, from there um it was it was tough i think you know the kind of guidance i received um you know i don't think anybody was very research oriented probably i would have thought a little bit differently then but my goal at that point was let's finish masters and you know uh, let's see you know if we can get if i can get something uh, like a job and um, i didn't have the luxury essentially to think that okay maybe i can do some research and um, i just needed to get get back to work and uh, again the idea was let's try out i made a list of all these different pharma organizations which i thought could be a good option for me uh, after my masters in microbiology and it so happened they are organized like a campusing and you know you all these uh, manufacturing companies started coming in um and they made some huge presentations everybody was super excited that we got campusing in our, our college and then when it came to salary discussions i mean it was peanuts you know and i was like you know i was already on a student loan and i just said you know if they don't pay me more than 10000 i just cannot survive in bangalore so i can't take a job i don't i will not take a job which is less than 10000 and i let go of a few other companies you know i think their medical coding was coming up a lot those days itc uh they had an rnd unit there but it was all very very low and i said you know i'm not going to take it so it was a bit of a gamble but i think what i kind of learned is it's very important to know your self worth and i think if you know about it if you are confident i think eventually it works out you need a bit of patience so i always enjoyed immunology a lot so when gsk vaccines uh, asked me to kind of show, come and sit for their walk in i was quite excited um and you know it's very interesting because at that point i just didn't know what what the role is about i knew that it's not data management and i knew that it's not statistics i didn't know anything else um i enjoyed kind of the whole um entrance so they had written tests they had multiple 
uh, rounds and I realized much later why they were scrutinizing me so much is because they had an all women's team and I was the first guy they were kind of thinking of hiring. So they were so cautious that they grilled me like crazy. And, you know, after every round, apparently they had a debrief whether it's worth getting me in. Some people thought I speak too much. Some people thought I will not uh, agree to a female boss, you know, those kind of things. And then they discuss and I'm very grateful that at that point, my hiring manager decided to take a chance with me. So I got in. Um, and I think there on it was fantastic because, you know, um, I, I started off with epidemiological studies. You know, I, I learned publication writing there. She and the rest of the team, they taught me. And we were the, I was part of the starting cohort for the publication writing team at GSK Worldwide. They had never had an internal publication writing team before. They always had regulatory writers. And then in India also, I think that was the time when they slowly started thinking of this as an option. So that's how it started. And then I, you know, moved on to their, uh, pand you know, influenza program. And now we always think of uh, COVID as the pandemic influenza. But at that point, it was H5N1, it was, it was H1N1. Um, I did the seasonal influenza uh, vaccines, you know, uh, program support for quite some time, their panda, you know, their quadrivalent vaccines. So fantastic learnings, um, you know, working with the global teams for the first time, kind of getting used to a different culture altogether, you know, because uh, it was kind of hands off. Um, if, you know, you would have to ask the right questions. If you ask for too many guidance, you know, too much of guidance or, you know, they would always wonder, uh, is it like a cultural thing or is it like an individual thing? So there were a lot of uh, stereotypes that to kind of break, but I think it was a great, uh, almost six years of, of learning there at GSK. And they were the ones who first said, uh, why don't you go outside and share a bit of your experience or maybe you learn something. So that's when I slowly started presenting externally, you know, ICR meetings, BNJ meetings, learned so much from others who were so much more experienced than I was who were freelancing at the time. And that's how I started getting involved outside, you know, the organization. And, you know, it's funny because I said I didn't have the luxury to do research, but then I always wanted to, I still want to do research. Um, and what I ended up doing is I uh, cleared the National Law School entrance exam. So, you know, if, for those of you who are from Bangalore, uh, it's a fantastic um, institute, of course, the best in the in India for legal studies, but they started an interdisciplinary research program. And I went in first time when I submitted, obviously, they they just didn't even consider the proposal. But the second time, you know, uh, I took time off from office and actually prepared a proposal. I Every Saturday, I remember I used to go and meet somebody or the other at all research institutes in, in Bangalore to ask for input on my pro project and my, you know, my proposal. A uh, few of them really made time, to, uh, Dr. Prashant from, you know, PA, you know, Public Health Foundation and a few others. And I think it was fantastic. So um, second time I made it, GSK was really, really gracious to allow me to do the research methodology classes, you know, so I would get, um, it was the other side of Bangalore and I was coming from the other side. So I would leave home at six, uh, do my pro, you know, classes at the university and then come back in the afternoon to do my uh, work. At the university, it was such a revelation. I mean, you had these stalwarts, um, you know, presenting, asking questions. And, you know, they would ask a question and they would say, do you have a, uh, an example? And I would give them a science example. 
but they would not understand it. Uh, they would they would give you and when they would give a social sciences example, you know, if it, for us it's very exact. For them, it's 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 it varies. Uh, when when they give you, if they talk about patents, if they talk about and they talk about jurisprudence, they would talk about case laws. Fascinating, but three years down the line, I realized I was just not making any progress because they wanted it to be a legal. Uh, research, whereas I was trying to do interdisciplinary. So I said, okay, probably it's not going to be uh, the best pro approach for me. And in the meantime, you know, um, I was at a conference presenting and then I met a couple of folks from Novartis and they said, hey, um, we are starting, a, you know, they have, they have kind of stayed in touch from the very beginning. In fact, they got in touch a week after I had joined GSK. So we kind of stayed in touch. It's very important in the pharma industry or even otherwise to kind of stay connected. So never close a door completely is what I have learned. Um, so they they kind of approached me. Uh, they said, we're opening an oncology team. Would you be interested? And when, I, when they said oncology and I said, you know, I have to be there. Uh, and uh, I always thought I would retire from GSK. <laughs> Such was the organization. But then I said, I, I need to grow. Uh, and I did not know anything about oncology. But I took the leap, uh, changed cities. My wife was extremely upset with me because she had to move from her GSK job as well. But thankfully, she found something at Novartis as well. So we moved cities. Um, it was a brand new team again. And I thought, well, GSK is uh, vaccines is based, out, based out of Belgium. Novartis in Switzerland, you know, we can manage. But then it turns out that the Novartis oncology team was completely in the US. So it can completely put a spin on the time time zones and you know the culture etc but it was fantastic so i worked primarily on breast cancer you know um, our i did the mtor inhibitors the pi3k inhibitors and it was fascinating i mean for me to really see how everything comes together in oncology um you know so i always feel like we need to take chances i mean if you stick to a comfort zone it's very difficult to grow uh, and then you should, or it's a choice, then you can't complain. If you decide to be comfortable, you know, happy with what you're doing, that's also fine. But if you want to grow and if you think you want to take, you know, you want to really see and explore new things, learn new things, it's probably worth taking a chance. So, and I, you know, when I moved to um, Novartis, it kind of opened up even more in terms of what I could do externally. So, our, med our local medical affairs team started inviting some of us to do you know, these workshops, for planning workshops, publication writing workshops for their physicians. So I did a lot of those at these different oncology institutes, uh, cardio, you know, cardio institutes, and it was, you know, kind of hands-on workshops, how to write abstracts, how to write papers. And then, of course, some of them were real experts. They would, again, give feedback to say, okay, maybe we do it this way. You know, what, why is it not the right way? Publication ethics, we were able to share a lot of that. And that's how slowly I felt, you know, although, um, you know, I'm going to be in India, I think it's worth kind of exploring what's also there globally. So that's when I started also being part of, you know, these Metcom specific organizations like ISMAP and MAPS. So International Society of Medical Publication Professionals, Medical Affairs Groups, and then slowly participating in their workshops, uh, participating in their work streams, and then, you know, you slowly kind of get used to it. Then that's when I, I think I got my certification so much later. And it was more like a self-validation because I thought, um, do I, how, what's my level of awareness or expertise versus the global, you know, organizations and audiences. Uh, so that's when I took it. Thankfully, I made it. 
um, and essentially, I think that paved my way also, you know, they, that makes you eligible to kind of go into more work streams in, you know, um, like, you know, patient engagement, you know, competitor tracking, you know, authorship, I'm sure is a big topic for all of you. You know, how do you define authorship? Is there a way to quantify open access? You know, all of these, I was able to, you know, I'm able to work more and more closely. So I think that's, that's brilliant. But, you know, change happens in organizations all the time. You think you're very happy, you know, slowly. So I, I was a writer, I, became, I you know, moved the levels. I, you know, I started off managing a team. And then I realized I was kind of stagnating because I wasn't learning much. And then my boss at that point said, have you thought of looking something, doing something else? Um, and then I started thinking about publication management. Although I had the certification, I was not moving much. And he kind of nudged me. He said, you know, do something with it. So I applied for a brand new role, um, which wasn't existing in India at that point, in a different therapy area, respiratory. So I was in oncology. This was in respiratory in pharma. I didn't know anybody. And I just applied and somehow I made it. So, you know, then they said, oh, you have to be in the Basel, in the Dublin office uh, for six months. Again, a big change. Uh, my family was in India, a young kid, but I moved, you know, I worked with that cultural aspect of it, tried to build, you know, more relationships with the Basel office because a lot of our medical affairs folks were there. And it really gave a different perspective. You know, it, you, when you visit a place, you come back, it's different. When you live in a place, it's very different. And I think that really helped shape a lot. It really built my confidence that I could survive and I could thrive in a different setup. Um, you know, and it was a big change going from a people manager to an individual contributor. It's a risk not many people want to take. You know, you're very comfortable working with the team, working. But then again, that's again something that I thought is important for me, so I did. And then one and a half years later, again, another reorg. So they said, hey, what do you want to do now? <laughs> and I said, okay, what do you got? So they said, okay, now we have a role in the medical affairs side. And all these experiences, you know, they saw those experiences, which I thought probably nobody cared about, but those worked out, having really worked with actual budget, with actual agencies. Uh, and I then moved to the pharma, you know, a publications excellence team. So I was leading, you know, publication ethics, innovation, strategy, and tactics for across all these different indications on pharma. And that's when, you know, I started off in India. I didn't want to move countries. I just wanted to stay there. Um, but I think midway through, I realized that there's too much travel involved. A lot of folks were there in Basel, so it made sense. So I moved there in 2019, in October. Super happy, the, you know, my manager, she was amazing. You know, she kind of introduced me to all her contacts here. I was able to kind of get a lot of work done. You know, um, essentially, uh, you know, the plain language summaries, the patient engagement, how do we kind of take our scientific communication to the next level? Uh, you know, another thing which you might find very interesting is impact factors. You know, what is the true value of your publication? Do you want to stick? So I kind of worked with another agency too, and I'll maybe share the link with Virender and you can share it with the group. Um, is there a better way to measure the impact of your publications? So all those work happened one and a half years. And then at one point, my boss said, okay, I'm going to leave. And I said, okay, if you're leaving, then I should move as well. And at that point, one of my contacts on the oncology side said, hey, we've got a lot of opportunities here. Do you want to move back in oncology? And I said, which ones? And they said, okay, we got hematology and then we got cell and gene. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fascinating. I've never worked in cell and hematology. 
and I've never worked in Celine Gino, obviously. I just don't know what it is. So maybe that's the one. Uh, thankfully, they thought the same, that I could probably do the job. So I moved uh, that, into that role in 2020, uh, July. And I've been into that role ever since to kind of understanding what the, it's an epitome of personalized medicine, you know, kind of identifying each patient, you know, you are essentially extracting T cells, you know, genetically modifying them for that patient, putting, you know, expansion, putting them back, and then you watch it. And it's so complex, uh, both the lymphoma and the, you know, pediatric uh, leukemia. The patient's uh, state, disease state at that point when you are extracting the T cells. It takes time to genetically modify the disease progresses. So you're giving some kind of bridging therapy, but still it moves. By the time your cells are ready and expanded, you put them back. Again, whether that's something that's, that's uh, you know, they're, how in the immune system is able to take it. And then the outcome is dependent on every bit of this. Their baseline characteristics will define the quality of your T cells, how exhausted they are, you know, or are you preserving the stemness? And then you put them back in, do they have enough expansion capability? So I think that all fascinates me. And I think that's what has kind of kept me hooked to my current role. Um, and that's, that's what has been my journey. And I have kind of, like I said, um, I'm very committed to the Medcoms community. I mean, uh, every time I talk, I, even if one person says I'm interested and I'm going to make an effort to join the Psycoms team, that is a win for me. I enjoy particularly converting regulatory writers into scientific <laughs> publication writers. That's like a personal win for me. And that's how I've been. And uh, we have a small organization called Mirror, which few of us like-minded folks do some basic work in engaging with universities and different um, you know, students, right. communities to teach, uh, you know, kind of share with them about experiences. Right. So yeah. I'll stop okay. here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that was uh, really interesting. And I'm sure our uh, listeners will have lots and lots of questions about Absolutely. what you mentioned about the impact factor and other things. So uh, I know for sure that Parvati has a question. So Parvati, do you want to ask? Thank you. So, firstly, Abhishek, it was such a nice and inspiring thing to listen to your story. Uh, as Vikram said, we, have, we all have a lot of questions. So, basically, I just would like to say that your passion and the curiosity that you have uh, in the field of oncology has come together after years of diverse range of experiences, actually. And as undergrad students, I guess we all have all fears about the experience and we'll not be able to switch fields and things like that. How do you say that? Like, what would you say to the students who are kind of afraid of, you know, translatability and switching fields and being open to all the opportunities that they get? I think, I think, um, I think there are some misconceptions around what you need to be in these kind of roles. And, and I think I, I did, did like a interview with the India Biosciences Group because I wanted to share with them that it's not as scary as it looks. You know, for, from academia, everybody thinks that's the dark side. You know, it's going to, it's going to be something uh, not so great. But I think it's, at the, it's a matter of um, certain traits you know, and I think research teaches you that, you know, our Indian education system does teach you that, although a lot of people have a lot of things to say, but I believe, you know, they create a lot of uh, the awareness that we have, you know, in terms of all the general knowledge, uh, the hardiness, the flexibility that we have. Uh, and I think the lack of fear 
I think all of these are very important if you're making life decisions like moving countries, moving states, changing fields. And I think the first bit, and also I think nowadays, there's so much of social media activity, there's so much, so many channels for you to reach out and ask people questions, ask people for help, for introductions. A lot of people do that. So it's a matter of kind of reaching out and asking uh, questions. It's a matter of kind of identifying what works for you. Sometimes some profiles might look interesting from outside, but maybe they are not, but it's good always to then speak to somebody who's in that role. Um, you know, I, I believe that you can change. I mean, I have seen folks who change careers completely. I, my boss, I mentioned about her. Her husband used to be a, an ICU nurse before she, he had joined Novartis in patient engagement. When he, when he went back with my boss last year to the UK, he retrained as an ICU nurse and he went back uh, there. So, I mean, you can do stuff. I, I think I believe that if you if you are able to be flexible, you know, if you're able to kind of, you, you want to learn new things, I think then it's not a problem. A little bit of patience, of course. You can't, you don't expect everything to click one after the other. A lot of people, industry interviews, for example, if you start something, it could take a few months. Don't expect in a week you have an offer letter. So I think these things for you to consider. So that was like fascinating journey. Like I never knew like one could go through like so many challenges and finally reach what you actually wanted to do at, at the beginning. So yeah, so, so I just want to know, like you mentioned about networking, which is anyway, like we know, like it's very important, but uh, what about like mentors? Like, do you have like mentors all through your journey or like how mentorship played role in your career? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a great point. And I, you, you, you can realize I speak so much, I forget the key points. So you're right. Mentorship is key. I mentioned about my first manager, right? And um, she, she has been amazing. You know, I picked up so many traits from her patience, uh, respect towards feedback from other folks. You know, two things I'll quickly mention. One was, you know, I was writing my first abstract. The comment came in from somebody in, uh, in Belgium. I didn't know who that person was. Uh, it was about rotavirus uh, disease burden. And I did a lit search in PubMed. I saw, read the first two or three papers and I said, okay, this is my conclusion that it's going down. And she said, are you sure? Because I think it's going up. So I went to my boss and I said, you know, it's going down. I'm sure I've done my lit search. So she called up that person and we had a call and she said, you know, Abhishek has done a lit search. It's going up. She said, you know, I'm not sure because, but if you have done it, you have done it. And then later I realized she's the head of epidemiology of NOAA, GSK vaccines, right? And then I went back and read the remaining two paper from the pub search, PubMed search and I realized it's going down. So I ran back to my boss and I said, I made a mistake. She didn't scold me. She said, Next time you make sure you create, you know, make sure you do, before you say anything, you verify it so much so that when next time onwards you say something, people just trust that it's correct because it's coming from you. And I think I've remembered that all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I think they have been, and the next one, of course, you know, uh, my boss when I was in oncology, it changed quite a bit, but he really, kind of let me flourish. Within a couple of weeks of joining, he allowed me to present to the CEO at that point of Novartis. He didn't know much about me. I didn't know the organization well enough. He just thought I could do it. And I pulled the team together, we, we did that. 
my next boss, you know, he said, everything's great, Abhishek, but you have a huge uh, hesitation towards conflict. You always, uh, uh, you know, you, you escape. Given a chance, you will not get into it at all. And I said, what's the big deal? Because I am a gentle person. I mean, I, I, if I can get work done, he said, eventually you will get stuck. And I did get stuck at some point on a call. And then I said, okay, that's a blind spot. And I consciously now, I still don't like it, but I'm, I'm not, I work on my hesitation. So I need to prepare before I get into that call. So I think these things help. My latest boss who I worked with, you know, here in Basel, she kind of opened up so much her network towards me. She kind of shared her wisdom. I think these are important. So mentors, and it could be multiple mentors. Sometimes I've kind of reached out to people randomly and I've said, this is one thing I could, you know, we have a learning and development team and there was this gentleman who was really nice. And I said, can I, can you give me some hints on how I could do it? So he simply introduced, she, they, they make introductions and then you kind of figure your way out. And I think it's very important because sometimes you just don't know who to speak to. So very important. Thanks, great question. Yeah, Charu, please go ahead. Yeah, Avishak, thank you for the amazing talk. It was really inspiring. Um, I wanted to ask you about transferable skills. So what were the two, trans like two transferable skills each from something that you are innately um, that, that is the kind of person you are and uh, two things that you learned over your journey, a journey that you can now uh, use as part of your job in uh, medical affairs communication. <laughs> okay, great one. Good one. So I think for me, the one thing that is very inherent to me, which it's very innate, is my ability to work with people. So I somehow can connect and make things work. Um, you know, bringing people together if there's a common project, common objective, you know, it's, uh, I, it's a natural approach for me. Interestingly, um, I'm not an extrovert by nature. If you see me outside work, I prefer to be very quiet. But the moment you let me be in the medcom space, somehow I, I get charged. So I think that's one. I think the ability to bring people together. And I think the second piece is... Um, you know, patience. Um, I'll be super, you know, I, I, it, my threshold is very, very high. Uh, but even when someone crosses that, I'm able to control, um, you know, my expressions, my, you know, how I, how I kind of carry myself. So they would, you know, it, it's never going to be me screaming at anybody, however wrong they may have done. So I think it helps because it kind of makes the comfort the person comfortable that no matter however I mess up, it's okay to make mistakes and we'll be able to do things. I think these are things that are quite natural for me, but when it comes to skills, I think the one thing, like I mentioned, right, um, navigating conflict, that I have to really consciously prepare, then get into the meeting. But then when I'm in the meeting, I, I use my people skills to kind of mediate uh, or kind of negotiate. So I think it's it's a mix of that. And the other aspect is, I think, um, saying no. Uh, I need to prepare a lot. Uh, and then, you know, but I know that these are things that I'm not very good at. So I consciously try and kind of think through different scenarios in my mind, what could happen. And then I prepare myself for all of those. So I, you know, I set calculated risk during my career, right? So it's not like I blindly said, oh, that looks great. Let me just jump right in. 
So I thought through different pros and cons. I discussed with certain people, how is it moving, relocating countries? How is it in oncology? How is it in pharma? You know, and then, then you say, you, the decision, final decision is yours. But, you know, the, you know, I think that these are the few things I think. Uh, it was a very uh, uh, interesting story of you, and uh, I am really excited to ask uh, one little question of uh, the CARTI, and I was uh, pretty excited to uh, connect with some of the folks in the industry, how the allogenic uh, off-the-shelf therapy is going on in the industry, and uh, uh, there are so many challenges uh, into it, and uh, you know, like a supply chain and uh, uh, the ability to scale up and all. Uh, how do you see uh, where the industry is moving uh, to that direction? No, thank you. Thanks for the question. Um, so I think for allergenic, I mean, if you see the space, it, it's a few big pharma, but a lot of biotechs, a lot of smaller uh, companies which have come up. And I think allergenic CAR-T is primarily coming from a lot of the mid-level and the biotechs. Um, there, I have seen so far at say ASH or EHA some preliminary data, but like you said, there are not just challenges in terms of supply chain, but also in terms of, you know, it's a compromise. The specificity, do you, what is the level to which you're willing to compromise for something that's quicker, cheaper? And, and I think that's what is going to change the game. Eventually, if the efficacy is proven to be somewhat comparable, to the personalized CARTs, I think that's where the game changes. Um, but I think it's it's the field is not there yet. Uh, you know, the, the way we when I'm looking at it, the competitor landscape for allergenic CAR-T, I think it's going to take some time. You have seen some of the biotechs who are targeting solid tumors, for example, with allergenic CAR-T. I mean, some of them are actually ex novartis, and they uh, you know eventually the trials did not read out well, or you know in some cases there were safety issues. It's a little bit hard to generalize something like this, but you know it's a it's a possibility, definitely. And I think it's going to be good for the field if they're able to reduce costs, if they're going to be more accessible to more people who need it, and maybe who cannot afford it. I think absolutely, but not not there yet. The field, I would say. Yeah. Uh, before I go to Raji, I have a question. Uh, I'll take one question from the chat box. Uh, it's okay. from uh, Vibhuti. So she's asking uh, how much experience and preparation goes into getting uh, in CMPP. You know, CMPP is 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 an ex it's it's more experience based. So you know, if you're quite certain that you want to be in the psychom space, and CMPP, by the way, is something more I would say industry agency side of things. So if you want to work in this space, then yes, and I would say. It's good to have some years of experience and then you take the exam um, because, you know, otherwise you're not going to be able to implement what you learn during your preparation. Uh, you're simply going to mug it up. You're probably going to remember some stuff. You're going to probably clear it, uh, but it gets very difficult because what you're doing is you're not applying it. You don't have a chance or your role does not support you yet to implement, I think, some components of publication ethics or publication planning, publication strategy, medical education tactics. So it's a little hard to kind of, I'm not saying it's impossible, 
but I'm saying I think time it well so that it's somewhere between when you've had a reasonable experience and then you want to grow further in the medcom space. So then you take the certification and that probably kind of helps you a little bit more to move to the next level. So you move from say hands-on delivery to something more tactical and to more strategic. And CMPP, for those of you who, who are wondering, it's the certification program which the ISMAP organization offers um, for, uh, you know, for those who are interested in, you know, working in the psychom space. Hello, Abhishek. Uh, this is Rajshree. I have three quick questions for you. Uh, so one first question is actually, can you give recruiters perspective uh, while hiring the candidate uh, for this kind of scientific communication kind of a role? Second question is, uh, can you give some insights about the hierarchy uh, of different roles in this particular field? Like how, from where you start and what all different roles you can take up in this journey? And third question is, uh, how do you manage uh, to prepare for your current role? I mean, uh, like, so since you are working into this uh, writing kind of a field, so initially, do you get any kind of draft of these results and how do you prepare uh, while writing and what kind of uh, interactions generally uh, you have with actual researchers. So, I mean, in detail, can you uh, describe like how this kind of work actually happens? Because we have no idea uh, in this. And also one last quick question is, can someone uh, who has done PhD or someone who is already there in the industry for a long time, uh, can uh, switch to this kind of job role? And again, you can give some recruiter's perspective also. Sorry for long no, list no, of questions. You, you might have to repeat some of your later questions. Yeah, yeah, I'll repeat. Yeah, 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 no problem. The first few. Um, so, you know, when I think different organizations, maybe I think the best way to say is what are those elements that uh, someone who's hiring in a psychoms role looks like? Even within psychoms, there are different roles, by the way. There's a writing role, publications, etc. Then you have medical education, which is essentially slide decks and other aspects. Then you have medical events, then you have like, you know, symposium, et cetera. And then you have digital. They are different. So it depends on which role you're applying for and they're hiring for. Uh, when it comes to core publications, for example, I think definitely, you know, some things are quite standard. They will, of course, try and understand uh, your scientific depth. Uh, they're not going to ask you every single thing you don't need to know. I mean, your field of research, your field of interest, do you know enough? Uh, do you have the ability to uh, interpret? If they give you a, a paper, will you be able to summarize it quickly? Um, for example, if you are, you know, if you're asked about, you know, they will probably ask you scenario-based questions. You know, did you have a conflict? You know, how do you, how do you manage conflict? How do you, uh, say, manage negotiation? You know, some of these skills, because when you're writing, it's not just, and this is linked to, I think, your third or fourth question about how we approach the process. Because a publication writer or a psychoms is not just doing their work. Their work is about getting work done also from everybody else. When you're a writer, you're doing project management, you're doing time management, you're doing stakeholder management, everything, right? So how it works, and I link that, this question back to that, is when a clinical trial, I'm just thinking about a clinical trial, data readout is about to happen. So... Uh, Public, uh, what we get is often it's either a study report, which is much later, which kind of gives you some explanation and all the data. Oftentimes in oncology, we don't have so much time. We actually start with the output tables. And then what we do is, you know, you look at the protocol, 
you start already familiarizing yourself because the decision to publish doesn't happen then when the data readout happens. My role is to plan this three years in advance. So I'm looking at all the studies that are gonna read out. I'm looking at all the competitor activities. I'm looking at all the literature, identifying gaps, prioritizing all our publications and then mapping it out. And then the writing team picks it up. And I used to be on that writing side, of course. So what they get as starting materials is protocols, any internal slide decks, and then the data set, analyze data. And then there are kickoff calls with actual investigators who ran the trial. Uh, there are internal calls first with the medics who worked on the trial. The statistician is involved. So all of these folks, if it's biomarker data, biomarker team, PK, PKPD, all those teams are involved. They all come together and then all of them build the outline. There are calls, multiple calls with those investigators who are running those trials, um, you know, interpretation. So it's easy, nothing is easy, but yeah, you do the introduction methods you have kind of there from the protocol. Results, you know, if it's a primary paper, these are the endpoints. If it's a secondary or an exploratory, these are the endpoints. How do you write the discussion, right? That's the longest time that you're gonna do. And that's where I think those discussions, and then there are multiple drafts going back and forth among all these, internally, externally, you know? And then finally, when everything is incorporated, then it gets submitted. So I think different folks, you know, manage these, uh, you know, but the writing team, it's, it's, that's the process. So no one writes it by themselves. Uh, it's, a, it's a joint effort, both is internal and external. And so which means now you imagine time management is crucial if you're submitting to a Congress. Uh, we, a lot of times we do simultaneous publication, right? So you have to plan your paper also in such a way that it get published around the time of a Congress. That gives a huge buzz. And then you need to work with your PR team to say, can we do something on social media? Uh, you need to work with your field medical team who are the liaisons who will discuss things with, these are not, these are medical folks, not the sales, who will discuss this data with the physicians. So they need to be trained and prepped. So all of this happens in parallel, which is my role. But then the writing team works on the pubs, other teams work on the med ed. And then of course we have Congress presence and symposia and a whole lot of stuff. So that's how everything works hand in hand. Then commercial will need that information to train their folks separately, but that's a different story. So hi, Abhishek. This is a re really um, great session. I had opportunity to attend your session during ISCR. So um, I have two questions. First is, uh, don't you think that plain language summaries should be the norm or all the scientific communication should be in plain language, layman's language, because even native people find it difficult to understand both those communications. Okay, so my first okay. question is about. Uh, okay. I think it's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I think it totally, it depends. One key thing or element of scientific communication is your target audience. So, um, you know, some organizations have taken a stance that they're going to have plain language summaries for all their papers, uh, you know, but for, you know, certain organizations where the volume of publication or data gen evidence generation is so high, um, and if you already have three lakh papers published and then you have three lakh plain language summaries you know, published, it's a lot of information. And I think there is a need to fine tune how do these, how are these archived? Where can these be searched? How to find these? How to standardize their format, readability? I think we will eventually get there, um, you know? But I think at this point, 
uh, it's slow and steady, I would say. And and more importantly, to first check with the target audience, are they how frequently are they accessing this? How do they find these useful? To I think that the dialogue needs to happen, and then I think maybe we put more efforts into this. Yeah. Uh, and a quick second question. Uh, this is about the role. Uh, I had opportunity to uh, work on different kind of documents, like some sometimes regulatory documents, sometimes communications. But uh, I always get a com comment like, uh, "You should not be hopping like a frog. You should be steady with one role, like do only communications or do only regulatory." So, do you agree with that? lot of organizations have joined teams so i don't know if i can comment and not create a controversy but i think uh, in our organization we have separate teams a lot of organizations i know they keep it separate i'll give you just one tidbit and i'll take probably another question is when i started off uh, sometimes i would get not sometimes actually i would get feedback all the time that this is reading like a mini report and i think some organizations want to consciously avoid that by having different people writing study reports and writing publications because when you use a study report as a source and write a paper i think it gets it gets a little tricky not to get influenced by the style and format so but different ideologies to be honest and i mean i have not done regulatory at all uh, and i'm quite okay with that Thank you. Thank you so much. So I would like to ask uh, Raji uh, to go with a rapid fire because she has prepared some questions which you have to answer in like one word. So that will be something interesting. And people who have not got opportunity to ask questions, please connect with Avishek on LinkedIn. You can message him also. Yeah, I mean, you can yeah, think... connect with me. And yes, after that, you're going to mute me given the number of posts I do, but uh, I'm happy to answer your question there. Yeah, I think Abhishek will have to invite you again for just a question answer session also. There's there's yeah. a lot yeah. of questions in the chat box. <laughs> Anytime. Go ahead, Raji. Yeah. Um, so which three words they sums up you and your vision? Uh, I think kindness, honesty, uh, and passion. Um, if not in this profession, then where you would have been today? It could possibly be um, in a legal profession, or it could it could be a journalist. Um, if you could talk to the president, what would you talk about? Uh, I think making healthcare more accessible. Uh, your all-time favorite book. Um, all-time favorite. I think Emperor of Melodies for the obvious reasons. Who do you admire the most? Um, I think in my personal life, my father, definitely. Um, but outside, I think there are quite a few, quite a few people. Uh, especially, I think people who have helped me without expecting any returns. Uh, I think I am really grateful. So I, I really admire them, and I, I want to pay it forward. That's that's the aim. Three top things in your bucket list. Doing my research, definitely number one. I'm still preparing my proposal. Uh, number two would be to get to return to India and do something in the you know academic field. My, you know, I eventually might go back into teaching, doing something else uh, to create a bridge between academia and industry. And I think the third thing, probably not career related, uh, it's more um, to probably help my son grow up into somebody who 
who's who's like a, an ideal citizen what advice did you get that was the most rewarding kind of advice um i think i think uh, a few i think the one thing which i think primarily i think to to really always receive, take feedback i mean to be open to feedback to be a good listener um and then and i think the the last bit i mentioned about you know this conflict thing sometimes it's important to know your blind spots and i think people who point it out to you not are not always the villains they're probably thinking the best for you any decisions you are regret of in your life actually no i don't um i was reading i think there's a book that has come out which says you should regret your decisions because it helps you make better decisions in the future but i i think i'm okay <laughs> Uh, any hidden talent which most people are not aware of unlike a lot of bengalis i i'm not really great at stuff but i i do enjoy you know i used to play a lot of basketball at the university level so i think that's that's one thing i really enjoy the last question three qualities a person must have to be successful according to you yeah i think uh, definitely uh, a people i think somebody who's good at stakeholder management somebody and and the better way to say it is somebody who's a little bit more uh, you know open to working with different people somebody who enjoys writing and yet takes feedback on that writing not very uh, you know strong about preferences um somebody who's constantly trying to learn uh, the field is evolving every single day and i think it's important to keep up otherwise it's very difficult to survive in this uh, field thank you abhishek okay hopefully that was fast enough yeah yeah okay thank you so much abhishek for sharing your thoughts and giving us your time i'm sure you will be getting lots of questions and connection request on your linkedin account so we are already out of time so uh, please do join us next week uh, in our next week mentorship session we will be having with us dr mohit kumar jolly and he will be talking with us about what steps we can take to be happy and productive during our phd so please do join us next tuesday thank you he is amazing i got to know him during one of my talks uh, with another group and we have stayed in touch uh, i don't understand all the science he does but he's a fabulous speaker and he's such a nice person so i think you should come back and listen to him thank you so much I for inviting me guys i really appreciate it yeah i hope abhishek you. you will also join us for events that you enjoy <laughs> <laughs> yes of course uh, you know anything you have where i can contribute to add value definitely don't call me just because you, you said you would where you think i can add value <laughs> happy to Thank you thank you A network should last a lifetime Let us help you create lasting professional relationships with our world class mentors through the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program A strategic guidance program unlike no other full of expert interviews industry internship opportunities CV writing inflection point analysis life maps and of course the gateway to your dream career for a limited time only all our services are freely available for you as we truly want you to succeed